Welcome to Sourcing Enterprise AI, a podcast by Upper Edge. I'm John Belden, Chief Strategy and Research Officer. And I'm Bill Rufo, Chief Revenue Officer. Join us every other week as we explore the impact of artificial intelligence and the critical issues IT decision makers and sourcing professionals will face. Get a deep dive into a particular AI topic and explore the latest news releases and their potential impact on the market to empower your AI decision making. Okay, so John, in the last episode, we talked a bit about the large research project that you know Upper Edge conducted on everything that's happening with artificial intelligence in the industry today, uh, and you outlined the uh, you know the five pillars of AI stri- uh, strategy success, and you know, one of them being the building the business case, understanding the the technology strategy, the data strategy that goes into that, operating models, and you know the sourcing and procurement strategy. I want to take a little step back, even further from that, and talk a little bit about some of the terminology that's being used across all of those. It seems like there's, there's lots of different terminology being thrown around out there and it's, it's uh, some of it's brand new. And I want to make sure that everybody has a, a baseline understanding of, of what that terminology is and, and how uh, we're going to be talking about that relative to vendors coming up. So um, I figure that's a good place to start. And I, I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, how, how would you start approaching that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Bill. And, and I, I gave some thought prior to the episode to say, how do, how do we actually want to break down this discussion on terminology? Because it's one of the things that, you know, we coach our clients on is in order to be able to buy AI, you first need to be able to speak the language of AI. So let's go ahead and start at the top. Um, there's four terms that I think oftentimes uh, get conflated and I'll call it confused with each other. So I'm going to start with those four terms. Uh, those terms are machine learning, generative AI, large language models, and foundation models. Uh, and it's, it's important to kind of understand where they're the same and where they're the difference. So I'm going to start with the, the concept of machine learning. Machine learning is, the, is a subset of, let's call it the larger group of artificial intelligence. So machine learning is effectively the computers taking input taking, um, you know, whether it be videos, whether it be data, whether it be sounds and gleaning patterns out of that data to build what's known as a neural network. And effectively, it's it's saying, I'm trying to understand that data. And that learning can take place in either a supervised manner, meaning somebody has looked at every single one of the inputs that goes into training that model, or an unsupervised manner where people are just shoving data into it and letting the, I'll call it, letting the machine learn on its own. So let's think about that as a very broad subject called machine learning. A subset of machine learning is generative AI. And generative AI creates the capabilities for the computer, for the computer let's call it, to, to both take inputs into an AI model and do the learning and respond back, right, in a form that's, I'll call it, intelligible to the human. That's why it's called generative AI, because in effect, it's creating output. Then the third topic would be large language models. And you want to think about large language models as a subset of generative AI, specifically text-based. So these are the things that are the drivers for uh, like chat GPT, where you're interfacing and you're, you're taking in and you're typing in your text and you're getting a response. You're getting a response back in texts. 
So that's what a large language model is. And then the fourth area is something that's referred to as a foundation model. Now, we want to think about a foundation model then as being um, utilizing a large language model, only it has an API attached to it so that the API allows other packages to interface with it, right, or talk to it. So when you're using chat GPT-4, right, the GPT portion of it is the generative component, and the chat is the, I'll call it, attached API. So chat GPT is kind of the foundation model itself. Those foundation models can then actually be used in applications and ultimately refined. So it's, it seems like these core, like those four core um, terminology uh, definitions that you just outlined are, are, are probably going to be really critical when it comes to sourcing, quite frankly, any technology that's producing AI right now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because you got to have to understand kind of what are you buying? right? Are you buying the large language model? In fact, that's a really good way to think about it, Bill. I mean, you don't buy generative AI, right? You buy, you might buy a large language model, you might buy a foundation model, or you may buy access to those things, or you may buy the tools to build those things, to build a large language model or to build a foundation model, right? So you don't buy generative AI, but you can buy the pieces and parts to use and or leverage the large language model or the foundation model. Yeah, because there's those core foundations and then there's the application thereof that that a lot of folks were going to be uh, talking to relative to sourcing. Correct. Okay. All right, great. Well, that's that's super helpful for me. And and obviously, I, I know there's a lot of folks been talking about all those different terms, and we hear generative everything these days, right? Exactly. Um, and so it's out there, and it's it's, it's a I think it's a core, um, you know, component of our, our general understanding around different technologies. No matter really who's coming out with it, it seems like there's new right. new vendors every day leveraging all these different technologies, and it's it's important. Now, when we talk about actually like building models themselves. Um, you know, there's, there's, you just mentioned and referenced GPT a little bit, and I think it's fair to say a lot of people talk about it and hear it every day and don't even necessarily understand what it, what it stands for. But tell me a bit about that and, and some of the, the training data that, that, that's involved. Yeah. So, so, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of clients are going to be faced with is let's call it buying the tools in order to be able to build, let's call it these, these AI capabilities within their within their uh, within their own enterprises right and so understanding the terminology associated with constructing these language models is important from that standpoint so let me um, let's take on that question first let's let's talk about a transformer to begin with okay, okay. Um, a transformer is the technology that companies use in order to be able to construct the large language model, right? So think about that as the application that's taking the inputs, looking at those inputs, drawing conclusions from those inputs, and then placing uh, the, let's call it the appropriate learnings in the neural network. So the transformer's job is to really do the learning. This is the, this is the, the piece of technology that In 2017, it was Google, I think, that wrote this paper, right? And it came out in 2018, 2019, the technology evolved. But 
a paper came out in 2017 that allowed these transformers to run on parallel processors rather than being run serially through a CPU. And when it was, when that breakthrough occurred to run on these parallel processors, right? All of a sudden, my ability to create these large language models, which otherwise would have taken years, right? In the old technology for chat GPT-4, right? Would have taken years. Now it's been, it's it's down to months, right? So we've gotten a kind of this, this big step function associated with the availability of technology. And it's one of the things I think it was the I think it was the uh, the CEO, I want to say it was of, of Google. Um, but he made the statement of we ultimately made a 10 year advance in technology with the inf- introduction of these transformers. And that's what created this massive amount of stir. Yeah, it just drastically accelerated everything. Exactly, right? Because of this leap in the technology, right? So these transformers um, kind of changed the game. Now, when you're using these transformers, I'm going to get into another term here that's called training data, okay? Fine. So when you're using these transformers, these these transformers effectively are training your new neural network Training data is the input that goes into those transformers that ultimately then gets realized within the model. Training data today for many of these big, um, big uh, GPT-4, um, you know, coming from OpenAI, but there's a lot of other models out there, Llama, etc. Um, most of them were trained on publicly available information scraped from internet websites, right. right? So that's where all of the data comes from. And that's what the where the knowledge base is, I'll call it, derived from on these models. Um, one of the interesting things about training data is these models in the future, everybody's kind of trained their, their, their I'll call it their systems or their models on publicly available information. But it's created what I'm going to refer to as a new natural resource for AI, which is all of the unstructured data that enterprises own right today that's not published out on the Internet, but is available internal to a corporation. Right. And that's going to become the foundation in the future as enterprises train their own AI models. They're going to leverage their own internal data. Right. In order to be able to build these things. And even if you're not building your own AI model, right, the data that you have within your enterprise may be an asset to somebody else who's building these, these, I'll call it these large language models. And suddenly you're sitting on a natural resource in terms of creating the availability of the data that you might have within your enterprise to train somebody else's. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. Now, there's a ton of inherent value, I think, for a lot of folks that are that are uh, not only creating, but also using and leveraging that data. It's like when when GPT, uh, ChatGPT first came out, I remember t- to your point, like it was supposedly based on public data that was a bit only available up until like 2021, right? right? We all know the vast amount of data that's been created since 2021. Right. But, but what you're saying now is like, hold on a second, there's this whole pool of unstructured data that companies have access to that can be more inherently valuable either to them directly 
or quite frankly, to wrap up in the form of a product. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And that's where we get into this, this notion of, of fine tuning, which is another tool that you'll, they are a term that you'll hear in this okay. space, right? Because the technologies there that now will allow you to access a large language model and then fine tune it by adding some of your own, let's call it proprietary knowledge, right? Into the training or into the into the model itself, they can segment it off so that it's you know it's it's just you right your information, but it allows you then to influence these uh, these these large language models to produce output in the format that you would expect it right as your enterprise talk in the way that you expect it to talk right yeah. bring additional knowledge in that isn't necessarily publicly available and. So you can fine, to, fine tune these large language models. And this is, again, where from a procurement standpoint, the, the tools to do the fine, tool, fine tuning typically are available coming from companies like Google, like AWS, that have to be purchased at the enterprise level. So they're going to be in the tool set. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think, you know, if you put on your layman hat and you just, you know, you and I sitting around using AI as individuals, that's that's really cool and it's pretty slick, right? But 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 all these 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 large software companies and vendors out there are really really trying to figure out how do they position in, in their own data and they maximize the value of their own data to then of course sell out to the marketplace and which sourcing professionals have to comb through and figure out you know how to work through that. Yeah, and it's good and it's going to be you know we we are just on the tip. Yeah. Of, you know, the tip of the spear on everything that's going to happen, right? Because, you know, companies don't necessarily operate on publicly available information. Yeah, they offer, they operate on their own proprietary information. So, you know, what's out there today effectively levels the playing field for everybody's use of publicly available information. It changes once that private data gets into the system. I totally think it's it's really interesting in, in how companies and and you know sourcing professionals have to figure out very quickly what this landscape looks like and how it can can impact them because the game is changing very very rapidly. Yeah, and, and the and the the competitors that are selling these tools, right? You know, Google, AWS, Microsoft, right? All of them have tools to support you in the development of these large language models. Google, Microsoft, they're all coming out with, I'll call it these co-pilots to yeah. sit in inside of the products that they're already selling, right? And going to market and saying, oh, you know, Microsoft is an example. We just, it was just, I think, released or Google just released the, uh, the co-pilot that goes along with the Microsoft 365, right? Yeah. $30 user per month, right? And you're just kind of added it on like uh, Excel or PowerPoint. It's connected mm -hmm. to that. Well, $30 a month for an enterprise that has 3,000 people in it, that's a million dollars a year. Sure. Bang. Quick. Right? You know, quick. So it's it's not chump change. Yeah, of course. All right. So that's really interesting, right? So we, so we just outlined a bunch of the terminology that goes into building the models, right? right? Let's, let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about the, the the terms that are important for for understanding using the models. Yeah, so so there's several terms that kind of fit within this category, and I'm just going to touch on a few of them because I think they're the ones that that you might not people may not hear every day, right? Or they're not familiar with. 
So the, the first one is I'm going to talk about prompts and prompts and engineering. Prompt engineering is, is becoming a, uh, a buzzword. So prompting in itself, when you're working with, let's say, like a chat GPT-4 sure. and, or, or, or quite frankly, any bot, right? A prompt is the question or what you put into the system in order to be able to enable it to, to get an answer. So when somebody says, I'm prompting the system, that's effectively just the language or the sentence that you're typing in that you're looking to get a response on. Prompt engineering is understanding the sequence of which you're going to put those prompts in, right? And the language that you're going to use in the prompts in order to be able to have the output come out of the large language model in a fashion that is suitable for your application. Lots has been written about the, the, um, the let's call it the, the use of these large language models in the development of contracts themselves, mm-hmm. right? So this is something we definitely would be in the procurement area. You could, you could design a prompt. You could tell ChatGPT4 as an example, right? Here's a contract that I'm looking at, right? Please restate this contract in layman's terms or this section of the contract in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. And it will look at that contract and then it will give you plain language what it says, right? Conversely, you could say, look at this contract. I want you to make some improvements to this contract and restate this section better for me in legal language, right? In which case, now you've prompted the tool, right, to respond in a different format in a different way, right? Or you could say things like, I want you to improve this contract with with let's get with the supplier's interest in mind, right? And now it's going to improve the contract and have a bias toward right the supplier and setting up the terms and conditions more favorable to the supplier. So all of those answers are dependent on the way that you actually structure the prompt. It's really interesting how uh, we talk about the so prompt. I think you call that prompt engineering is that that sort of sequencing. Yeah. Um, what are what, in that example you gave though? What can procurement professionals do to to build the trust that it's actually delivering? Right? It's like I'm assuming that's got to be built up over time, right? And 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 like th- that that example, it's probably going to be used. But how reliable is that right now? Well, I think that it, that comes back into and there's a lot being written on the prompt engineering, right? Uh, which is how do you actually go in and ask the right sequence of questions, right? Of it and the and the best way I you know, the best way I've at least heard to think about this is think about those large language models as being um, new associates that were uh, brought to a country or yeah. a company, an enterprise that has a lot of information, right? But there's still somewhat of a lack of trust in that new sure. individual, sure. right? So whenever I ask a question of a new associate, right, and they give me an answer, I am most likely going to ask a few more probing questions in order to be able to ascertain, does that person actually know what the hell they're talking about or not, right? And so the same is true, right, for when you're utilizing these these large language models. So when you ask it a question, right, I would always follow up with additional details about the particular spot response in order to be able to confirm 
the answers that they actually gave it to us, man, gave it to me in. Right. So, you know, that's that. It's one of the ways of combating another term I was going to talk about, which is hallucinations. Right? Okay. Because, because uh, hallucinations, you know, it, a lot of people don't know this stuff, but but don't know this. But these large language models will, excuse my French, they'll make shit up. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it will it will literally create uh, a, a fact-based sounding response. Right. Because that's what it thinks that you want to hear. And we've seen a lot of stories in the news, particularly in the legal case, in the legal area where ChatGPT has created cases that didn't exist. Right. Citing specific specific cases to defend a legal position. Right. So in those cases or in those in those situations. Right. That's when the large language model is hallucinating, right? It's effectively creating a fact that doesn't exist. Yeah, and then really you wild. end up right, and then you end up having to just probe on it to say, "I want you to confirm these facts for me, please. Tell me that they're truthful and and get that out of there." In essence, it's not really giving you the answers to the test; it's predicting what it thinks it should give you based on your input and the prompts, that's a, right? That's exactly right. Hoping you don't check on it. Yeah. Well, all the more reason for people to really truly understand how this technology works because it can go awry pretty quickly, I would imagine. Exactly. Right. And then the last term in this area that I wanted to refer to is something that's called jailbreaking. Okay. Uh, and you might hear the term jailbreaking. There's a lot of work that goes into making sure that the models, the foundation models that are being presented, right, do not provide sensitive data or do not like, um, aren't used for, you know, the good of the, you know, the good of the universe, right? You know, you don't want to be able to go into uh, chat GPT-4 and say, show me how to build a bomb, please, right? Right. And, And do that, right? So the tools are set up in order to be able to um, protect the public from accessing information that isn't necessarily good for society. Jailbreaking is creating a sequence of prompts that allow you to avoid right the security mechanisms that are actually incorporated into the large language models and gain access to that information. So this has become the new, let's call it security area. Some guardrails. Exactly. Right. And so now everybody, instead of trying to figure out how to hack into, right, your computer, now they're talking about how do I actually jailbreak into these large language models to obtain information that otherwise shouldn't be available to the public. Hmm. That's wild. So that's the term jailbreaking. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, all right. Obviously, we, we, we talked about some, some core fundamental baseline terminology that folks should know and in, in, in terminology around building models. And of course, we just went through using models. But, you know, we have a lot of sourcing professionals on this show. Let's talk a little bit more specifically on some yep. procurement terms that, that'll relate, be a little bit more relatable there. Yeah. So in that space, and, and I'll be brief because I know that we're going to get into a lot of episodes in the future, specifically sure. into these areas, right? So we'll spend a little less time in there. The, the first one is something that uh, you're going to hear the term machine learning platform, okay? The machine learning platform is the technology base and the set of tools that actually allow you to create, right, these large language models or fine tune those language models for your own internal use. So the, the key vendors in this space right now, AWS, SageMaker, Azure, Google, 
um, IBM, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the mm -hmm. big players in this space of creating platforms. We're going to see the platform, the enterprise platform vendors, the SAPs and the Oracles, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to have their tools as well in order to be able to supplement their offerings in AI, but kind of the core technology vendors are the ones that I mentioned there, right? So, but machine learning platforms, I think this is going to be an area that a lot of enterprises are going to be making investments in, in the future. And there's going to be a, I'll call it the choice that's going to be have to come up. Who am I going to be going with? Is Microsoft going to be my enterprise platform vendor? Is it going to be Google? Is it going to be enterprise? Is it going to be AWS? Yeah. So I think over the next year, we're going to see a lot of those platform evaluations that are going to take place that procurement professionals are going to get in, I'll call it involved in. Okay. Another term that I think that procurement professionals need to, to understand is this term called token. Okay. Um, some of the large language platforms are, let's call it, or the, the vendors are selling their tools based upon, let's call it a, you know, the 30, um, the $30 uh, a month per user mm -hmm. has access to it. But other access models are usage based access models, right? So how do you how do you determine what usage base looks like? Usage base comes through something that's referred to as a token. And a token is when you're looking at texts, right? If you're looking at a page of text, what happens when you're using these models is it's breaking down that text into, I'll call it smaller chunks that are connected to each other through some sort of a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Now, we think about those tokens typically as words in the English language, but when a machine breaks it down, it breaks it down into something that would be a little bit larger than a word, okay, as a token. And companies are building models for usage that are based upon the amount of tokens that go in as input, right? So I'm putting pages in perhaps to train my model, or when I'm asking questions, it's breaking those down into tokens and on the output of the model. So if I go in and ask ChatGPT4 as an example, you know, please, um, please restate the world history to me in five pages, right? And it generates this, you know, this five page document. Well, there's probably going to be about let's call it somewhere in the area of 800 to 1,000 tokens, right, in that five-page document, you're going to pay for each token. So are these vendors potentially thinking about that as a, as a different type of revenue stream that, that folks need to be aware of? Yeah, and, that, and that's something that as you go into and you're thinking about the negotiations with these vendors for these token-based, I'll call it, models, mm -hmm. you've got to be able to think through, you know, what the, I'll call it, how you're going to you know, how you're going to forecast, right? What your token usage is going to be. And the numbers are really, you know, when you look at it, it's, it sounds like it's really, really small, right? I saw one model was, well, you're going to, you're going to charge two tenths of a cent per token. Well, that sounds pretty small, right? Yeah. Until you, until you start to think about how these systems are used and you have, you know, 20,000 people in your enterprise that are all utilizing the tool, all of a sudden things start to rack up pretty quickly. Well, right? sure. Then you've got to start thinking about how that technology is actually used and regulated across the, the, the company. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that, so then that becomes, you know, token is a, Interesting. Is an important, is an important point. And the other thing that I think procurement need professionals need to understand is 
a token on one platform isn't necessarily defined the same way as a token on another platform. So you definitely need to understand kind of the the definition of token in order to be able to compare models against each other. Yeah. Wow. And then maybe the last, the last one to talk about in this particular area is a marketplace. Um, And because marketplaces now are, you know, hugging face is an example of a marketplace, right? Where companies are creating these models and then making them available for use to the public or enterprises. And they're doing that through these marketplaces, which Hugging Face as a a company, right, is now a marketplace for these large language models. But other companies are, I'll call it, uh, entering the space as well. You almost want to think about it as like the eBay, right? I I can build a large language model and I could go to Hugging Face and I could say, I want to create the availability of it. You may be able to start using it right from that platform. So understanding that space is also important for professionals. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, as you run through all these different terms and, and, and you can you can just very quickly see the importance of not only understanding what the definitions are, but the actual applications of, of how, you know, SAP, Oracle, whoever it may be, is actually utilizing these, these uh, you know, technologies as we defined like the token conversation and, and, and how to combat that and how to understand the contracts that are put together and how to read a contract effectively to know how it's going to impact the business, particularly as companies are growing and scaling. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see it develop. Yeah. And I, and I think we're going to see, at least from my perspective, and you know, it'll be interesting when we get our, when we get our experts on here on the various platforms. Right. But it's going to be interesting to me on what the durations of these licenses and what these contracts are going to look like. Because we know the field is changing so fast, yeah. right? That, you know, what what looks like a good deal right now, 12 months from now, you know, might the landscape not, may not be. Be, be, be completely different, right? right. So, you know, it, for both parties, for both the client and the and the SI or, or, the, or the platform vendor, right? So, I, you know, you wonder just about the duration of these contracts and if we're going to see a lot of long long-term contracts or if we're going to see no we're going to go to short-term contracts as the as the overall approach until this whole thing kind of you know fleshes itself out yeah it's, it's wild maybe we'll have to do a sort of a revisit of this conversation in about 12 months to see how how anything's changed there but that's great that's why there's a lot of information there for folks to to pay attention to and really understand uh so we'll, we'll have to be uh continue to be at the forefront for folks to make sure that they understand that uh, let's let's switch gears here for a little bit um, like we did last time, we're going to continue to do going forward in, in some of these episodes. I always think it's important that with all the different news that, that's out there relative to AI, um, that we, we sort of bubble up the different uh, key issues and items that, that's out there in the news. Uh, anything you came across since we last talked in the AI world that we should be, be paying attention to? Yeah, you know, the one that was the most interesting to me, and I just came up, uh, you know, yesterday was EY announcing. Um, that they had spent $1.4 billion, not that they were going to spend $1.4 billion, but they, had. but they have already spent $1.4 billion creating their own large language model um, in order to be able to support both their internal you know, employees. There's 400,000 of them, right? But also making that available to their clients as well 
to store the knowledge, right, of EY. Now, they made a couple of interesting things in here. Number one, they made a really important point of saying that the model was only trained on publicly available information. So they haven't put their own IP yet into the model itself, right? Clearly, to protect itself from, you know, any exposure within within that whole area. But they also made mention that they're going to train all of their internal associates on the use of this tool right, in order to kind of level them up to the next service level. Part of me says, this is the, let's call it the vanguard of the arms war that I think we're going to see right. in the systems integrator space, which is how do I take all of the knowledge of my that systems integrator space, begin to leverage AI and come to the marketplace with new tools and new levels of productivity in order to be able to demonstrate to the clients, right, that we've used AI, we're much more efficient, right? Therefore, you can use AI to become more efficient. And therefore, you should come and use us to put your AI platform in place, right? So it's almost the eating of their own dog food, right? Demonstrating that the benefits are there and then going to the marketplace with it. So the next 12 months are going to be nuts in the in the systems integrator space because I think every single one of them is going to be announcing these tools, announcing the application of these tools, and then like Accenture saying, hey, I'm going to take 40,000 people and flip them over to AI delivery. That's what they're doing right now. And to me, it's this is just the beginning. Yeah. Well, it's really wild. Talking about the next 12 months being nuts, I, I came across an article uh, yesterday in the Financial Times, and I wonder if you might be able to help understand, help help our audience understand how it's applicable from a, from a sourcing and procurement perspective. But I, I came across an article in the Financial Times, it's titled, The Global Race to Set the Rules for AI. And it basically talks about how um, different regions are racing to figure out uh, regulations around all, all the different technologies that are booming. And, and as you would imagine, different regions are taking different approaches. Brussels is taking probably the hardest line for, for the EU in that uh, suggesting that the, the the burden or the onus of liability falls on the on the underlying technology uh, itself, whereas you know U.S. U.K. is a little bit more on the application, and and of course China is taking even obviously a harder line with their the way they control data. How how does that conversation um, impact the sort of sourcing and, and procurement aspect of it? I tell you what, it's really an interesting again great topic to talk about, Bill, and I think we'll have to plan an episode around this in general. Right. Um, You know what? To me, what makes it what makes it even more interesting, more than the procurement side of this thing is it appears to be a completely bipartisan issue in our own government. Yeah. Right. You know, I I, I heard I heard Elizabeth Warren say that her and Lindsey Graham have a bill in front of the Senate. Right. That talk about governance. Scratch the record. Right. (laughs) You know, of AI. Exactly. Right. That says, wow. You know, now we're talking, you know, we're talking apples and oranges here in terms of the, you know, the, 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 the political landscape. But these two are coming together to talk about how you're going to regulate AI, right? So, you know, it, it's clearly something that's important overall. Now, going to the procurement part of this, you know, I think what's going to happen is, again, long term, these regulations are going to get passed, right? You know, regulations primarily, primarily aligned with privacy laws, mm-hmm. okay, um, and protecting, let's call it the public, from things that, you know, you shouldn't be using AI for, like we talked about before, right? Building bombs, 
right? So they're going to pass these regulations. The regulations themselves, right, are not going to be the same in the EU as they are in the US, right? And the software vendors and the model vendors are going to have to make sure that their products are compliant, right, with those things. So from a procurement standpoint, you're going to need to understand what the regulations are in the area that you're ultimately going to apply, let's call it these packages, and make sure that your packages are compliant with those regulations where you're actually going to use it. Okay. The other area is going to be in when you're building your own, right, AI platforms, large language models, let's say, right? You're going to have to make sure that you're building those platforms are compliant, which then means when you're going out to your systems integrators to have them assist you in building those models, you've got to make sure that their processes and their methodologies hold up to the standards associated being put in forth by the by the regulators, right? So it's going to be, at least a, from my standpoint, a selection criteria when you're looking at those SIs, that they've got a methodology that's also going to make you compliant. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're right. It probably could be in a whole entire episode on that. So maybe maybe we will. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, this is, this is, this is awesome. And there's obviously lots of really uh, interesting stories out there, but the, the, I think to the to the point of the episode, like really important for us to lay the groundwork and foundation for the the, the understanding of of all these terms that are going to be really really critical going forward. Like you said, for the next 12, 18 months, etc. So um, I'm excited about next week. We can start diving into some specific vendor specific content. So looking forward to that. Appreciate uh, everybody listening, and thank you. Sourcing Enterprise AI is co-hosted by John Belden and Bill Rufo and produced by Mike Brown and Kylie Chisholm. The podcast is brought to you by UpperEdge, a leading IT sourcing, negotiation, and project execution advisory firm. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss a new episode. For more innovative IT sourcing and risk mitigation insights, subscribe to the UpperEdge newsletter and follow UpperEdge on social media at the links in our episode description. Thank you for listening.